Welcome into a special edition of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Erin Summers, joined by John DeShazer. We have a really special guest today, so that's why we are giving you this podcast a few days early. Usually we're on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but we're three ga- days away from that game in Jacksonville, and we have the pleasure of being joined by Tom Rinaldi, who is the Fox reporter going to be on the sidelines with Aaron Andrews for Sunday's game against the Green Bay Packers. Really looking forward to seeing him and excited about our conversation today. And now we're joined by Tom Rinaldi of Fox Sports. He's a reporter there, does a lot more than just that. Really excited to have you on the show, kind of getting ahead of the Saints-Packers game on Sunday. Tom, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you to you and to John for uh, for having me. Excited for this NFL season to kick off in the midst of obviously college already underway and so many other things happening in sport, but really excited. Unusual circumstances, albeit, but uh, excited to get down to Jacksonville. Absolutely. With those unique circumstances, how do you approach this game different or what's the conversation been like with the players and the staff because of the the changes in venue and everything surrounding this matchup. It was interesting. I had a chance to talk to Mickey Loomis uh, a couple of nights ago, and he, he made a couple of points that I think are really clear. One is something that, you know, you and John know really well. I think Sean Payton is particularly gifted at turning adversity into advantage. And he has a lot of experience in doing so uh, because of so many things that this franchise has been through under his stewardship and under his leadership. The second thing is that when you think about the possibility of a team having a chance to bond, having the franchise be so devoted to its players that they will fly families out, that they have nearly 300 people now associated with the franchise in Texas. And Loomis wanted to make a very strong point that the, the hearts and minds of the franchise are with people who really have been displaced back in Louisiana and for no one to feel as though what they're going through in any way competes with or should be mentioned in the same breath as what those in the state are really trying to work through in the latest recovery from what Mother Nature's delivered. You've been around New Orleans a lot. What do you like about that city and just the energy of the fan base there. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that when you've long ago, I checked off all 50 states, Aaron, uh, okay. I mean, maybe even 15 or 20 years ago. And there are parts of the United States which are somewhat homogenous. Every, every part, every state, of course, has its unique identity. But some identities certainly present more loudly and more dynamically than others. And Louisiana has to be right there at the top of the list. Everything from the richness of the culture to the difference in passion to, I mean, the, the sports franchises, the cuisine. And I also think the fellowship that Louisianans feel with one another, whether they, regardless of what parish they're from. I think there really is a wonderful unity and that emanates largely from really the cultural center of the state, which of course is New Orleans. Anytime we get the chance to go, we love it. Um, We obviously had it circled on our calendar, but circumstances have changed. And so 
Instead, we'll be going from Mets-Yankees on 9-11 Saturday night to Jacksonville rather than to New Orleans. Tom, we know you to be one of the premier storytellers, essayists in the nation. I don't, I don't think anyone consistently uh, in America has had me crying every Saturday more so than you. So <laughs> if there is hey, a John, story. John, let me just say, first of all, I'll <laughs> say it for Aaron. John, toughen up now. Come on. <laughs> Great stories. If there were, if there is a story around this New Orleans Saints beginning of the season that you would tell, what would it be? You know, it, it's twofold, really. I and in some ways, maybe they're connected. So many times, John, I've posed this question in a greater context beyond sport. When a community, when a family, when an individual, when a community is going through true challenge, maybe even trauma. Why on earth does a game matter? What value can it possibly possess for people who are going through enormous trial and great test in their lives? And yet time and time again, it's the reason we're on this podcast. It's the reason we love doing what we do. We're amazed that people find value and sustenance and even magic in something which in a vacuum has really no meaning and no value directly in their lives. But we want so much to belong to something. We wanna believe in things bigger than ourselves, whether that be our faith communities, whether that be ge geographically, whether that be our franchises, we want that. So perhaps John, what it would be, would be to map and sort of chronicle the effort of one family that's been displaced, one community that's been displaced or hit very hard, and what those three hours give to that community. The preparation, the gathering, the feeling of fellowship that they get through watching a game. The other would be Jameis. And I know that sounds pretty obvious, but I think from the comments that he's made this week, you know, I mean, I've known Jameis uh, since the very earliest stages that he burst on to the national scene, you know, as a seminal, but I thought he struck a very impressive note this week when he talked about his efforts and he made it clear, right. That he understands that being the quarterback of the New Orleans saints is a twofold proposition. You're a saint, but you're also serving New Orleans and Louisiana. It's what you do on the field, which of course people care a great deal about, but it's how you serve the community that cheers you on the field as well. And it's clear that he's really trying to step up and do that and, and make a difference here for people who, who are in need right now. And, and I always find that impressive. The stories you present, how much of those, I guess, are, are self-generated? How much of those are, are subjects that people toss to you and say, hey, could you look into this? Because I would imagine you get a lot of those that you have to sift through and you know, kind of look and see what might be legitimate, what might be an actual story. If we, if we, right now, if I were to ask you, John, right, for a compelling story on the 53-man roster right now, we could, we could be on this Zoom for two hours, I guarantee. <laughs> Same thing with Erin, where she would tick through and she'd say, well, hold on a second, let me tell you about this guy. I want to, let me tell you about that guy's family. Let me tell you about this staff member's journey. It's amazing how 
here's why. Because to get to be a part of a franchise in the NFL, no matter what your role is, you're, you've come through something. No one handed it to you. And that journey is going to tend to be compelling to people. So it, it's just trying to deal with the, the sort of the avalanche of stories, John, that are there in all the sports we cover all the time collegiately where they're born an aspiration professionally where you see what a player has come through to continue to manage his career and then of course when it gets to their families their cities their communities there's just a lot a lot of stories my own batting average in pitching is low I'll tell you that <laughs> I, I tend to get rejected a lot on the stories I tell. there was one story that you came to New Orleans to tell and that's the story of Luke Siegel somebody that really had a big impact on the organization, on quarterback Drew Brees. What did you learn about the Saints, the fan base, and, and Drew by telling that story? Well, certainly our hearts go out to the, to the Siegel family with their loss here. And we know that Team Luke has been really a, an important initiative for so many people whose lives have been touched by it through the incredible work done by his dad. But it's, it's one thing when we see athletes lend their name and to a degree lend their platform to help amplify somebody's initiative. That doesn't even begin to touch the effort that Drew Brees made for this family and this father and son. The fact that he went to Lubbock, Texas. And for anybody that doesn't know Team Luke, uh, you know, Hope for Minds, please look it up. Uh, the work that they continue to do has maybe never been more important or more poignant. Um, and Drew Brees going to Lubbock and to meet with the family and to be a part of their charitable outreach, their gala, directly giving his time in that way. The bond that the family also forged with Patrick Mahomes because he was a Texas Tech guy. Um, I, these are the stories that we're so grateful sports gives us a chance to amplify because there are so many families who can feel so isolated and alone, especially when they're in a caregiving role and they're dealing with so much and the strength they possess is so great. And yet what they wanna do is turn that challenge outward. They wanna help other people rather than just sort of collapse or suffocate from everything that's inward. I'm amazed at that. And that's what that story, Aaron, I think taught me in getting to know the Seagulls a bit and to see the incredible job that, you know, that Drew did and what the franchise, and, and not just Drew, you know, Demario, I mean, other players mm -hmm. who were really involved there and what, again, a team can mean to a family. You know, th this is a, a boy who went through a catastrophic accident. He had a terrible brain injury. He's now passed on. But what, the experience of watching the Saints gave a father and son that could feel the same from before the accident, post-accident. That was at the heart of that story. I, I, I know it's a well-known story, certainly for Houdat Nation, but uh, it was a, a privilege to be able to share it nationally. Your first feature that you told for Fox Sports was before the Saints-Bucks game, and it was Tom Brady Drew Brees, the long game. You said you didn't know if they would ever be facing off again. And, and we know now that's not going to happen. 
But for us Saints fans, when the heck is Tom Brady going to be done here? Yeah, I, 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 gotta, <laughs> I, I don't know that it's going to be anytime soon. I mean, when you think of the fact that not only is he the oldest player, he's the oldest player in the league by four years. I mean, Andrew Whitworth, I believe, is the second oldest player. And the spooky thing about Tom is you look at him and he looks better. <laughs> so what is that he looked 10 years ago that's probably true with John too I'm just guessing I mean he, he looks like he's eternally useful but I just I'm amazed that and listen we know all about the advancements in nutrition and and fitness but at the end of the day he lives it I mean here's a guy that forgoes sugar he forgoes you know the thing I can't even exist in a day without sugar <laughs> and I just think he's so fulfilled by it by what he does a big key Aaron and John as you guys know can you stay healthy in practice and play you can take care of everything else but all it takes in this game is one moment and can you really expect your body to recover the way it would 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, in Brady's case, if he were to be injured. And I also think, and you tell me this, Sarah, do you think more people like Tom Brady now than ever before? Then what now that think? he's not with the Patriots? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think it goes beyond that, though. I think people really like him now. Yeah. John, what I do mean, you think? Oh, yeah. Well, he's his personality. Yeah. yeah, he's a funny guy. I mean, you mm -hmm. see him now more so personality wise than you did with the Patriots. You see him on social media when they'll take yeah. a little time, when they'll have some fun with where he'll be uh, self-deprecating. Those are things that endear you to people because then they feel like, you know what? He's not so different from I from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. He's a master at the social media game. You can't you can't dispute that. He's masterful yeah. with it. Sure. Yeah. I tell you what, Tom, when you, when you said like eternal or eternally youthful or, or whatever it was, I kind of blanked out. So I got to remember to tell my wife to say that about me. <laughs> and I got to, you know, she's looking at me right now kind of sideways, but you know, I will remind her of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I've got to, I've got to ask you this, a high school English and English as a second language teacher and a handball coach at Morris high school. How does that, lead to this that's a great question john i appreciate <laughs> the research there going back into the mesozoic era of my life <laughs> um uh when i got out of college i was a teacher and a coach initially in pittsburgh at a fantastic private school shadyside academy and then i went to the other end of the spectrum in american education and i taught in a public high school in the south bronx not too far from yankee stadium colin powell's alma mater uh and I learned so much there. I really did. Uh, when you're a new teacher in the New York City public school system, uh, sometimes you don't get the most desirable of assignments. Uh, so I taught everything. I really wanted a coach, as you can imagine, the basketball coach, that was all off the table. The other things, mm -hmm. but handball, they were willing to let the new guy coach. <laughs> and the most urban New York-centric sport there could be and I loved it. We were the Morris High School Bulldogs. We called ourselves the Dogs of the Wall. And uh, this is not, by the way, the, Olymp the handball you see in the Olympics. This is the hard ball where you have to be ambidextrous and you're, trying, you're just hitting it against a big concrete slab, trying to hit it as low as you can so that 
And again, you can field it on one bounce. It's tennis against a wall without rackets. The rackets are your hands and the ball's a lot harder. But I, I, I love the experience. Every graduation, John, when I was a teacher, I felt this sadness that the students were moving on. And where was I going? I was just staying. And I have such incredible admiration and respect for lifelong teachers. I only did it for a handful of years. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to try another adventure of my own. And that turned out to be reporting. So that's what I've done. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned September 11th, how you're going to be covering baseball that day. You did a story that has continued to touch the lives of many with Wells Crother, the man in the red bandana. It's been 20 years now. How impactful has that story been and what has it meant to you? That story will forever be special for me. Um, Wells Crowther is, just to, to quickly recap, he was a, a, an athlete at Boston College. Uh, he, he played lacrosse there. He was in the South Tower of the World Trade Center uh, working for Sandler O'Neill when the second tower was hit by Flight 175. There was one functional stairwell on his way down. He stopped at the 78th floor sky lobby. The scene was horrific in every dimension. And he led a group of people, including carrying one across his back down to the 61st floor. He then went back up. He had been a volunteer firefighter as well as being a, uh, as well as being an athlete. And he led a second group to safety. Ultimately, it, it's been hard to know exactly. He saved at least a dozen people. He made his way to the lobby and then tried to help the firefighters because he believed likely no one had been in the highest reaches of the building to make their way down with any firefighting background. And he died when the tower collapsed, surrounded by others at this mobile command post. Uh, it's a story that will forever be special. You know, we, uh, I, was, I wrote a book about it called The Red Bandana. We've been fortunate. It's found its home on school reading lists. It was a Times bestseller. We've been grateful that that story has resonated. The story of one life lost on 9-11. And I guarantee I'm the oldest person on our Zoom right now. But it's amazing to think that a generation has passed, right, Aaron, that for everyone who is a college freshman or sophomore right now, it is not a memory, it is history. And that's really, really amazing to think about that it, because it's such a searing memory for those but of us who live through it. Definitely something that's touched all of our lives and I appreciate you bringing that story. And one last question here and we'll let you go, but. What are you looking forward to most about getting back on the sidelines and being out there for the Saints-Packers games? I, I think, Aaron and John, can I tell you, well, you said it well. I think it's to be on the sideline itself. Remember, we were up high um, NFL-wise. Uh, I did the playoffs last year after making the transition to Fox. And not to be down on the field, there's just you – know, you're limited to a degree on what you can observe and perhaps contribute on or off there and the breaks up to the guys in the booth. I'm thrilled to be with Buck Aikman and EA. They've been phenomenal. Our incredible uh, producer-director team, Richie Zions and Rich Russo, um, are just wonderful. But most, it's the fans. 
It's the juice of having a packed stadium. I was just at Camp Randall for Penn State at Wisconsin. I jump around yeah. in the fourth quarter. <laughs> uh, you know, I know it can, I just can't say it any more earnestly. There is no substitute for the energy that a crowd delivers, the roar, the voice, the investment, the, all of it. It's, it's baked into what we love about the game. And I think it will be phenomenal to be there again. Very different experience than it would have been in the Dome. We know that. But deeply grateful for what I got to presume. And I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. How many fans of Houdat Nation do you think will make the journey? 25, 35, is it crazy to say 40,000 or more? What do you think? There's definitely going to be a lot out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's crazy to say between 30 and 40 um, because Saints fans travel. They travel even, you know, under ordinary circumstances. Well, these are extraordinary. So they They'll be there and, and they're going to be vocal. We, you know, when we went, when the Saints played in London a couple of years ago, it was amazing how many Saints fans were there at that game at Wembley Stadium. I had no idea there would be that many Saints fans uh, in London. I just, maybe I was naive. I just didn't know it was, it was that big a deal to Saints fans and they were all over the place. <laughs> Well, why does that surprise me? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they had, and I'm sure they had a good time too. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time to talk about the Saints, tell some good stories. We appreciate it, and have fun this weekend. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Tom Rinaldi for joining us on the podcast today. Some great stories there. We've all enjoyed a lot of his storytelling. The college football excited to see what he does covering the NFL this season, what he brings to the game on Sunday. If you have missed any of our coverage, the Saints have been at TCU practicing. We'll have availabilities this afternoon. You can always watch those on NewOrleansSaints.com. You can find our podcast there and a ton of good coverage heading into the Saints game against the Packers. And of course, if you don't have tickets yet, those are still available. You can find them on Ticketmaster. So make sure you guys come out to the game and get all ready for the first week of play by checking out all of our good stuff on NewOrleansSaints.com. Coming up on Friday, we have another guest that's been really close to the New Orleans area throughout Hurricane Ida with a lot of their efforts on the ground, passing out meals and food in World Central Kitchen CEO, Nate Mook. He'll be joining us on Friday. Looking forward to talking to him, finding out about what they've been doing these past two weeks and the great help that they've provided for the city of New Orleans. That will be it for today's podcast. I'm Erin Summers. Make sure you tune in each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to the New Orleans Saints podcast. You can find it on neworleansaints.com or on Apple iTunes. And we'll talk to you again soon.